0: Coming up on the Children's Hour, we're going to explore wolves. We'll learn about their role as an apex predator and how conservation efforts are saving them from extinction. We meet documentary filmmaker Elka Dorr who explains why wolves should live in the wild. Kids from the Extinction Diaries let us know about the red wolf's condition. We learn about the recovery of the Mexican gray wolf from John Oakleaf at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and from Tony Esparsa at the Albuquerque Biopark Zoo who cares for the wolves that will eventually be reintroduced into the wild. This is a and good Children's Hour filled with great music. We're so glad you're with us. The Children's Hour is Kids Public Radio produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated. Find out more about us at childrenshour.org. It's time for the
1: Children's Hour. It's public radio.
2: What did the wolf say when someone stepped on his foot?
1: I don't know what.
2: (laughs) Ow! It's
1: time for the Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio! Woo-hoo.
3: wolf is a creature, a beauty and grace, and part of the master plan. She eats other creatures, hangs out with her friends, I guess she's a whole lot like man. Half of the wolf are running free, because it feels so good. Half of the wild and wilderness, and half of the wolf in the woods. Was a creature, a storybook fame, for tales that were made to scare you. She's taken the bomb for eating grandma. I tell you it just isn't true. It's
1: just a fairy tale.
3: A-ha uh-huh. uh-huh. for the wolf, are running free. a-ha uh-huh. because it feels so good. A-ha uh-huh. for the wild and wilderness, and a-ha the wolf in the woods. But people will kill most her pack. It's time to keep the wild in wilderness. It's time to bring the wolf right back. A half of the wolf are running free, a uh-huh. half uh-huh. because it feels so good. A half of the wild in wilderness, and half uh-huh. of the wolf in the world A half of the wolf are running free, a uh-huh. half uh-huh. because it feels so good. Half for the wild and wilderness, and half for the love in the woods. Half for the love in the woods. Half for the love in the woods. Half for the love in the woods.
0: Listening to an encore edition of the Children's Hour that we recorded in 2020 from a CD called "The Web of Life." That's the Walkin' Jim Stoltz with Howl for the Wolf. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and I'm so happy to be with you today. I'm Katie Stone, and with me on Zoom are a whole lot of kids. Hello, everyone.
2: Hello. Hi.
0: Hi. Hi. Let's start over here. Who's with us?
2: Hi, it's Melissa. Hi, it's Isaac.
3: Hello, Zen.
2: Hello, it's Amadeus. Hi, it's Illuminata. Hi, it's Daniel.
0: Well, you all, we are having a show today about wild wolves. They're furry, they're cute, but they're wild. What do you guys think of wolves? I think they're great.
2: I think they're awesome. Pretty cool. They're amazing. Why do you think they're amazing, Ili? Because they have the kind of fur that they can take to like be in the winter. And I think they're cool because um, they're also at Yellowstone National Park. Yeah, we're going
0: to be talking more about those wolves in Yellowstone National Park.
2: Wolf reintroduction
0: is happening on a global scale, and they never were completely made extinct. They're here in New Mexico, too. We have some wolves that have been reintroduced to the wild in southern New Mexico. I really love thinking about wolves because I love thinking about how dogs are related to wolves. And when I see my dog, sometimes I I think about how, you know, once upon a time, you were wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think they're really cool because... They have their own thing when they come together and they're all like... They're like a little pack. Yeah. They really
0: are experts in teamwork. Maybe we have something to learn about teamwork and working together from wolves.
4: Yeah. And they also have a lot of power over the ecosystem.
0: Well, that's what's so fascinating. And our first guest, Elkador, is very interested in wolves in the wild. And she has a lot to say about exactly that. We're also going to be talking with John Oakleaf. He is from the Fish and Wildlife Service, and he's based in Albuquerque, but he works on the Mexican Wolf Program. In fact, he's the field projects coordinator for that program. And we'll learn from him about what's happening with the reintroduction of wolves into the wild across the United States. We'll also talk with someone from the zoo who's taking care of the wolves But in the meantime, wolves appear over and over again in myth and legend and songs. And surely everyone on our crew has heard about Crying Wolf, which is pretending like something's really bad and saying, help, help. And it actually, you're just joking. Here's a song about that from the band Passenger. And this is the title track to their CD, The Boy Who Cried Wolf.
5: Here I am, the boy cried wolf, and I know I've lied in the past but Last night I saw his yellow eyes shining in the dark Yeah I know I spawned tales with his voice, and I opened my mouth too fast but Last night I saw his footprints in the past I could swim every sea from South Pole to North But I know I'll only ever be the boy who cried wolf Well I am the shepherd's only and I know what a joke I've become I've an honest heart, but I've lies on my tongue I don't know how this started, or where it came from You have no reason, and I have no proof But this time I swear I'm telling the truth I saw that old wolf from tail to tooth And I know that he's hungry, and he's coming down to where well, I could swim every sea south pole to north and I could climb every tree and scale every course well I could tell only the truth from this day forth but I know I'll only ever be the boy who cried oh 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 oh, I am cried. Wolf. Oh. I, the boy cried.
0: You're listening to The Children's Hour and today we're talking about wild wolves. As opposed to pet wolves. And on the line with us is Elka Durr. She is an award winning filmmaker, an animal communicator, an author, photographer, storyteller, lover of life, and the founder of the nonprofit Web of Life Foundation, or WOLF. Welcome to the Children's Hour, Elka. Thank you for having me.
6: I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, Elka, we don't know a lot about wolves, and Illy has our very first question.
6: What are wolves? Wolves are called the top predators or keystone predators. I don't know if you have um, an idea what a keystone is, but they used to build bridges um, in the Middle Ages that were kind of arched, and the keystone at the top at the summit which is kind of like a funnel-like stone, was holding it all together. So wolves are predators, meaning they're eating other animals, and keystone predators, meaning they're very, very important in the ecosystem. When the wolves come back, everybody else comes back as well. For example, in Yellowstone National Park, after a lengthy absence of wolves, they came back and... Um, all the other animals came back as well because they were eating all the elk and the deer where they had many, many of them because nobody else was eating them before. And so they also started being more aware of the wolves and they started moving around more. And so more vegetation started growing because they weren't eating everything, which meant more songbirds came in and they were also driving away the coyotes. So there were more bunnies and more other animals. So the whole ecosystem changed in Yellowstone National Park when the wolves came back and all the other animals came back as well. So they are very, very important Uh, Players in the ecosystem one might say and they weren't only in North America. They were also uh, all over Europe and the northern hemisphere and They're coming back in certain areas to their old stomping grounds, so to speak
7: What other kinds of keystone predators are there? Do they all work in a similar way to wolves?
6: Yes They work in similar ways to wolves, and they're very important. Eating the old, sick, and weak uh, ones of a herd of deer and elk, for example, or taking out other little animals and uh, evading diseases. Because where the wolves are gone, for example, there's more uh, chronic wasting disease among uh, the deer. What's a chronic wasting disease? It's a disease among deer, when they are in one place together. See, the wolves, they are keeping the herds of deer and elk moving because they always have to look over their shoulder and see if there's any wolves around, and they can't just hang around. And uh, they uh, break up in little bands, like, for example, the, the females and the does and the, their offspring, for example. They're never together in huge herds. But humans often put them in enclosures or put them together in in huge herds for the hunters and feeding them. And in those situations, when there aren't any wolves around, there is a lot of disease because they're giving it to each other. It's kind of like right now, we have to stay away from each other to not uh, pass on the virus to each other. It's the same with the deer and elk. When there's too many of them and one of them is sick, and the wolves are not taking out the old, sick, and weak ones of a herd of deer and elk, then they'll pass it on to each other. And often, a whole herd is compromised by that. We have found that in New Mexico as well, in northern New Mexico with an elk herd, for example. What can you do to, like, stop this disease? The best way is to bring the wolves back because they, will, they are the ones that... Um, that can eat, uh, kill, and eat a deer, for example, that is sick. They are the only ones because they evolved that way. And when they were looking at uh, wolf kills in Yellowstone National Park, they found that almost all of them were really sick. They had some kind of disease, or they had uh, arthritis, or they were getting old they were looking at the bone marrow of the um, animals that were taken down by the by the wolves and they were all sick so i would say let the allow the wolves to come back and do not have huge herds of any kinds of animals in uh, captivity because that way they can pass it on to each other much more easily are wolves a problem well it depends on whom you're talking to some people are calling them a problem, or saying that they are problem wolves. And usually, what they're referring to is that wolves occasionally kill a livestock, let's say a calf, or a cow, or a sheep somewhere. And then they're being called problem wolves because, in that instance, they are competing with us for our food because we are raising the herds of um, cattle and sheep for our food sources. So if a wolf takes one out, it can be that they're being called a problem wolf, especially if it happens a few times in a row. But I have, I'm have i working with the wolf biologists and ranchers and farmers all over the Northern Hemisphere, basically, in Europe as well, and here in the States and in Canada. In one instance, wolves had taken down a few cattle And so they were looking at the cattle to see if they had been sick. They took the whole herd out and replaced it with a really healthy herd and put up a a video camera. And the wolves, after the herd was really healthy, were seen walking by the herd and not even bothering um, the cattle at all and going after the deer and elk instead. So that's very interesting.
2: Do you know why the wolves are going away or what's happening to the wolves? What's making them go away or what's happening to them?
6: Well, again, it's that old story that we thought wolves are our competition for food. They are eating our cattle and our sheep. We didn't think that we could coexist with wolves. So for the longest time, we killed them. And actually, when I was a child growing up in Germany, There were sometimes plaques in the forest saying, Last wolf killed here, 1750. People were really proud of killing all the predators because they thought they were competition to them and their livelihood. And they didn't have a story where they could coexist with them because they felt like it's either cattle or wolves. We can't all coexist. That's what the the prevalent story was. So people kept killing them. And then when the settlers came to this country, they did the very same thing. There were wolves all over the Northern Hemisphere, but we didn't want them here. So right away, when the settlers came, they started killing the wolves again. But right now, it's really hopeful because the wolves are gaining in the hearts of many people. And there's many people now that are not afraid of them anymore, and they're making a stand for the wolves. They're saying, we want them here on this planet with us. We need them here on this planet with us, like we heard at the beginning, how important they are for the ecosystem. So actually,
0: in some areas, they're coming back. Wow, that's fascinating. Tell us an example of where that's happening.
6: When I was a child growing up in Germany, there weren't any wolves. There weren't any really large wild animals. They'd kill them all. And I was walking around with my grandpa and uh, we have a farm in Germany and he was telling me the names of all the fields. And all of a sudden he said, and this here is called the wolf trap. And that was the most amazing and interesting moment for me because I said, the wolves, where are the wolves? Where are they? And he said, Oh, don't worry. This is where our ancestors killed the last wolf, so you and I would be safe. But I didn't feel safe with no wolves around. And I was really mad because nobody had asked me. They had just exterminated the wolves. So I said to Grandpa, I'll bring them back, Grandpa. I'll tell people that they are not really dangerous. And guess what? The wolves are actually coming back now to Germany because we had something where all the countries were between the eastern and the western part were really divided. People couldn't move across and animals couldn't move across either. But when all that went away, the animals came back and they're crossing the border now again. So we have over 100 wolves in Germany, so they're not just going away they're also coming back. <laughs> and a lot of places in Europe, they're coming back actually. And a few states in the US, they're coming back.
0: Great story. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We're talking with Elka Duer. She is a filmmaker and wolf expert. And coming up on the show, we'll be talking with a wildlife biologist who is responsible for the reintroduction program of the Mexican gray wolf in the United States. And we'll talk with a zookeeper who cares for wolves that will ultimately be released into the wild.
2: You're listening
0: to the Children's Hour, Kids
7: Public Radio. We'll be right back.
0: The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, an educational nonprofit based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where listeners supported at children'shour.org. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science, announcing Chocolate, the Exhibition, a multimedia science exhibit that engages the senses and traces the evolution of chocolate from a small bitter seed to the delicacy it is today. The exhibit runs through March 2023. More info at nmnaturalhistory.org. Support for the Children's Hour provided by Electric Playhouse, an immersive entertainment and events center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Playhouse is open. You can purchase tickets, learn about events, play, and other opportunities, including future locations and music shows, at electricplayhouse.com. to the Moon is Lucy Calantari and the Jazz Cats from her 2019 Grammy-nominated CD, All the Sounds. You're listening to the Children's Hour. And we've got a few more questions for Elka Duor. She is a wolf expert and a filmmaker. And she's with us today to talk about wolves.
2: Um, is there like a person who is like the most in charge of the whole pack?
0: Or a wolf person, I think she means.
6: (laughs) Yeah, they used to call them the alpha male and female, but I call them the father and mother of the family, and I call them also a family. And so they're usually in charge because they are hunting together as a family. So they have to all be in line and everybody needs to do their job. So they have food and so nobody starves. It's usually the father and the mother That keeps them all in line and even though they are working together like a wonderful family usually even so half of the puppies dies in the first year from accidents and maybe an eagle and other predators they get killed by polar bears Uh, like an eagle can can uh, catch a little wolf or a bear or they can get sick or they can fall off a cliff or maybe there's a snake bite or something so they're usually using, losing half of their babies in the first year.
0: It's a dangerous life to be a wild wolf. Melissa has our last question for you.
6: Um, what can I do to help about wolves? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Thank you so very much. I think awareness is the first step because a lot of people are still in that old myth of the big bad wolf that came about when we were starting to do our agriculture and where we were starting to raise cattle and sheep, all of a sudden the wolves became our enemies. And we see that in the old stories, the three little pigs and uh, little red riding hood. The wolf is always the bad guy. So I would say, first of all, really inform yourself about who wolves really are and if they're really dangerous. Because if we can write a new story of coexistence with the wolves and with other predators and other animals, then that fear will go away. That, that age-old fear of the big bad wolf will go away. Do as much research about wolves as possible. I did a documentary about the Mexican gray wolves and the most endangered land mammal in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's very important that, that people really inform themselves about the wolves because there were still so many old stories when I was interviewing people. And what what happened was the children and young students, they would all come to me and say, I want to be in your film. I want to be interviewed because I want to tell the truth about wolves. For example, people still feel that wolves are killing humans, which is not the case. I have done a lot of research to do my documentary, and I also wrote a book about wolves uh, called "Wolves and Humans: A New Story of Coexistence and these stories were never really true. I couldn't find one confirmed incidence of a healthy wolf killing a human in the uS since they started keeping records. There were just some incidences of wolves having rabies and attacking people, but there was really no incidents of a wolf in the wild hurting and uh, killing a human. So that is also very important uh, that we know these things.
0: El Khadur is a filmmaker and an enthusiastic lover of all things wild. You can learn a lot more about her and her work at weboflifefoundation.net. And if you'd like to learn more about wolves and how you can jump on board helping wolves recover from near extinction, you can go to wolf.org. The International Wolf Center has a lot of information and educational materials about these majestic carnivores. El Cador, thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour.
6: Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I love to speak about wolves and dispel all these old myths.
0: (laughs) Dispelling old myths is something we're good at on the Children's Hour. Coming up next on the show, we're going to be talking with John Oakleaf. He's the field projects coordinator of the Mexican Wolf Program at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And then we're going to have a little conversation with Tony Asparsa. She's the carnivore supervisor at the Albuquerque Zoo who is responsible for the wolves that are there. From a brand new CD, Never Mind the Blocks, here's Jumpin' Janie. This is Wolves right here on the Children's Hour.
2: diaries there are as few as 18 red wolves left in the wild their genetic makeup has been debated to this day some believing the canine to be a coyote wolf mixture and others believing them to be a distant third species because of this the red wolf is sometimes excluded from endangered lists despite their horrifying numbers once thriving in almost all the eastern u.s men eradicated them close to extinction when in 1974 14 survivors were captured for a restoration project in south carolina In 1978, they were declared extinct in the wild, but by 1987, the captive population had reached 63, and two releases occurred back into North Carolina and Tennessee. Those populations rose to 120 by 2012. In a tragedy of leadership, U.S. Fish and Wildlife neglected to enforce protections, and the population collapsed to 40 in 2019, then 20 a year later. The plight of the red wolf is a revelation of human awareness as stewards and our place in the web of life where the red wolf and man might end as equals. My name is Rising Moon. This is a Small World Radio production.
0: The Extinction Diaries from KFOI in Redding and Red Bluff, California. And before that, Wolves by Jumping Jamie from their CD, Never Mind the Blocks. Here comes Jumping Jamie. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and we have with us on the line John Oakleaf. He is the Field Projects Coordinator for the Mexican Wolf Program at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. How many wolf reintroduction programs are there in the U.S. and Canada right now?
7: So I can, th- I can think of three, four that are going, ongoing or completed. And so the active wolf reintroduction program where you're actually putting wolves on the ground, there's the Mexican wolf program here in the Southwest. There's a red wolf program, which is in the Southeast. Uh, North Carolina kind of area. And then there's a active reintroduction that's going on on Isle Royale, which is up in Michigan, um, where they're trying to recolonize some wolves on the island. And then there's the famous reintroduction programs that they aren't really putting wolves out anymore at, but that's uh, Yellowstone and, and Idaho, which I've worked on for a little while.
0: When we talk about these programs, how many wolves are we talking about that are in these programs? I mean, how many do you put into the wild and when do you know that
7: you're successful? For the Northern Rockies and for the Mexican wolves, we had recovery plans. And so recovery plans kind of give you a roadmap to when when you're successful at your reintroductions. So for the Northern Rockies, they called for 10 breeding pairs in three populations scattered across the northern rockies to be successful and so they did releases for two years and then natural reproduction took over and that caused most of the growth from there it was a pretty quick uh, reintroduction down here on the mexican wolf project uh, we're calling for 320 wolves over eight years and then the mexican wolves were almost gone extinct from the wild. So we had to start with a captive program, captive breeding program that required to build up captive stock and then release them. And we're at about 160 today, um, and we're mainly focused not on growing the population with our releases but improving the genetic stock. So there was seven animals when we caught the last Mexican wolves,
0: Seven wolves in total in the whole world. That's all that was left of the Mexican wolf?
7: So this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, At that time, the Endangered Species Act just came, 1974. And so the Fish and Wildlife Service sent out a trapper down to Mexico uh, to trap some of the last remnant wolves. And he caught some wolves. And there was a few samples in captivity that were there that proved to be pure Mexican wolves. And so we had a founding stock of seven. And even the ones that he had caught down in Mexico, those wolves disappeared and were largely gone by the early 90s. They were gone. What happened from there is our zoos and our captive partners build up this population. So they build up 300 plus wolves today so that you could release wolves into the wild and still have the genetic stock in captivity where that wouldn't cause them to go extinct by the risks in the wild. We built from seven, that was a great success by our captive partners in the zoos, and built from seven to 150 and in 98, we started releasing Mexican wolves into the wild. Today, we're focused on the genetics and getting more diversity out there, out in the wild. And so what we do is we put young pups less than 10 days old from captivity, into wild dens. So we figure out where the wild wolf den is and put these young pups into into wild dens. It's called cross-fostering. And then those pups are raised by their pack and are raised like wild wolves. And then they incorporate this different genetics into the population.
0: How do you convince local ranchers and farmers that it's okay to have wolves be reintroduced? Because it seems to me like maybe those are some of the people who would be the most resistant because they'd be worried that the wolves would maybe kill their sheep or cows.
7: Yeah. And I, I guess I don't try to convince them because wolves are a lot about how you see the world. And so Certain people see them as as citizens of the of wilderness and and kind of showing that it's a wild area and a wild place and they very much appreciate the howl of a wolf in the wild and then other people they are more uh, utilitarian are out there on the landscape they're actually working on that landscape and they make their living on that landscape and so those folks tend to be more concerned about the presence of wolves and they have to live with them and, and there's economic impacts to their business. So what I do try to do is work with the ranchers. Our shared goal is none of us want depredations on livestock.
0: And what do you mean depredations?
7: Uh, so when wolves kill livestock, something that people own, it's considered a depredation, a taking of something that a person owns.
0: We're talking with John Oakleaf from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about wolves. He's the field projects coordinator for the Mexican Wolf Program. We're going to come right back and talk more with John Oakleaf right after a break. The Children's Hour Radio Show is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. Support for the Children's Hour provided by United Way of Central New Mexico. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is also provided by the City of Albuquerque's Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by Token Ibis, a nonprofit making philanthropy accessible to everyone. To sign up, go to tokenibis.org. Welcome back to the Children's Hour. We are talking with John Oakleaf. He is the Field Projects Coordinator of the Mexican Wolf Program for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They are reintroducing the Mexican gray wolf to its original habitat in the Southwest. It's one of many programs that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has for wolf reintroduction around the United States.
7: How many types of wolves are there? Well, it depends on who you ask, but there's a a thing where scientists often disagree. So there's splitters, people who split into different subspecies, and there's lumpers who kind of lump them together. And so the Mexican wolf is a subspecies. So it's kind of like a cousin of the gray wolf. It's Mexican gray wolf. So the northern rocky wolves are gray wolves as well. And they're bigger. They're morphologically different. Uh, they came, were brought down from Canada and reintroduced into that area. And then there's the Mexican wolves, which are the smallest subspecies. And then over in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, that's a, a different subspecies of wolf. Timber wolf is what some people commonly call them. And so that's a different subspecies. And red wolves are a different species altogether. So they're a little more distantly related from the gray wolves that all those other areas are considered. And so red wolves are a different species, a little bigger differentiation that occurs there.
0: Are wolves in the wild likely to breed
7: with people's dogs? There has been a couple of instances where we've seen that and we've removed the litter and we monitor that all the time so we're monitoring genetics of everything that we catch to look for wolf looking dogs or dog looking wolves we don't want that to occur and that's really really rarely the wolf dog hybrids a lot of times they end up being bad pets because they get to about a year old and then they want to be dominant And most of wolf dogs are from northern wolves. So they're from Alaska, crossed with Alaska wolves, or places where wolves are allowed to be taken from the wild and crossed with dogs. Even the ones we see in the southwest are never Mexican wolf dog crosses.
0: On that line, do wolves ever breed with coyotes?
7: So we have not seen any breeding with coyotes here in the southwest or in the northern Rockies. Now, if you go out east, there is some bigger coyotes that um, there is some integration of, of coyote genetics into wolf genetics or wolves.
0: Well, we've been speaking with John Oakleaf, and he is the field projects coordinator for the Mexican Wolf Program at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I just want to thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour and helping us understand the wolf reintroduction program. Thank you so much, John.
7: Well, thank you for your time, and I appreciate your listeners out there.
4: Wolf. A wolf is reading a book of fairy tales. The moon hangs over the forest, a lamp. He is not assuming a human position, say cross-legged against a tree as he would in a cartoon. This is a real wolf, standing on all fours, his rich fur bristling in the night air, his head bent over the book open on the ground. He does not sit down, for the words would be too far away to be legible and it is with difficulty that he turns each page with his nose and forepaws. When he finishes the last tale, he lies down in pine needles. He thinks about what he has read, the stories passing over his mind like the clouds crossing the moon. A zigzag of wind shakes down hazelnuts, the eyes of owls yellow in the branches. The wolf now paces restlessly in circles around the book until he is absorbed by the power of its narration, making him one of its illustrations, a small paper wolf, flat as print. Later that night, lost in a town of pigs, he knocks over houses with his breath.
0: is Johnny Whitehorse from Totemic Flute Chants with Wolf and inserted in there Billy Collins with his poem, Wolf. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We're talking about wolves. We wanted to talk with one of the zookeepers at the Albuquerque Zoo who's taking care of the Mexican gray wolves that reside there. These are the wolves that get released into the wild. Tony Esparza is the carnivore supervisor at the ABQ Biopark. Welcome to the Children's Hour. Thanks for being with us. Tell us what's going on in the wolf den right now. This is breeding season.
8: So we've got three adult wolves right now. We've got the alpha male and the alpha female. And then they've got a cub that was born last year. And we're very excited because finally last year we got the okay to do some breeding And so that's where Archer came from last year. So this year, we're hoping and crossing our fingers that we've got some pups in there somewhere. The thing about the Mexican gray wolf is that we really do want to stay away from them. What we want to do is try to recover their population in the wild. And to do that, we need them to not be used to people. So we're hoping that... uh, We'll be able to help with those efforts. So you never know. Sometimes, you know, we'll have a pup born here and then eventually he's going to get the okay to go back out into the wild and go out there and try to form his own pack. So um, it's exciting times around here.
0: You take care of other carnivores at the zoo as well. How are wolves different for you to care for than the other animals? The Mexican gray was, they are from this area. So it's kind of an exciting
8: thing to be involved with that. And so to know that there is a population here that is completely endangered. And I know we've got other animals that we take care of who are also endangered, but they're from other places. They're from Africa, they're from Australia, and things like that. But these guys, they're, you know, they belong to us. So that's what kind of makes it really exciting that we're part of trying to repopulate. This part of the United States with this terrific species of wolf. And if you ever come by the zoo, you'll notice that their viewing windows are really small. And that is purposely made so that they're not used to hordes of people looking at them. Because once a wolf is released out in the wild, we want them to stay out in their wild. And we don't want them to run to people. We don't want them to feel that that's where we're getting food So we want them to stay isolated. We want them to rely on seeking out their own food, not knowing um, that, okay, there's a person there. That person is going to directly feed me. So that's what makes it a little bit different taking care of the wolves than it would be taking care of a tiger.
0: Tony Esparza, you are the carnivore supervisor at the ABQ Biopark, the Albuquerque Zoo. Thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. Oh, you're welcome.
9: Leaders of the pack, howl about that. 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 There is something so exciting about the sound of wolves howling in the springtime, deep in the forest when the snow begins to thaw. It's the time when baby wolves are born and their mama feeds them and keeps them warm. And daddy runs to hunt for dinner. These two parents work together because they love their pups and love each other. They're the leaders of the pack. They howl and bark, and their pack howls back. They howl. Their families safe and growing. They are strong. They are wild. They guide their pack with a protective style. They're alpha wolves and ever the leaders of the pack. Leaders of the pack. Howl about that? Leaders of the pack. Howl about something so exciting about the sound of wolves howling in the summertime deep in the forest when the wolf pups leave their den and the members of the pack all work together to care for the pups in all kinds of weather this is their time to learn and play and mama and papa wolf show the way cause they love their pups and love safe and growing They are strong, they are wild They guide their pack with a protective style They're alpha wolves and they're the leaders of the pack Leaders of the pack, howl about that Leaders of the pack, howl about that Wolves have family values just like you and me And they work hard to keep their children healthy, safe, and free. And when I hear wolves howling, I know deep in my heart we must protect their habitat and keep them safe from harm. And daddy runs to hunt for dinner. These two Parents work together in spring, summer. The protective style They're alpha wolves And they're the leaders of the pack leaders of the pack
10: Mighty wolf, mighty wolf, mighty wolf, wolf, wolf. 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 Running through
11: the forest, what do I see? A mighty, mighty wolf and his family. Mighty one, mighty two, and he makes three. Mighty, mighty, mighty wolf and his family wolf, oh, mighty, wolf, mighty, mighty
10: wolf running wolf, wild and free Mighty wolf
0: You're listening to the Children's Hour. That was Jeff and Page. Mighty Wolf is the name of that one. And Birdsong and the Eco Wonders was before that with Leaders of the Pack. You're listening to a show about wolves that we recorded back in 2020. So some of the numbers have changed and situations for some of the wolves. You can learn a lot more at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Wolves. You can also find a link to webcams at the Wolf Conservation Center there, where you can check out some wolves right now. We're going to go out with one more. This is a New Mexico band, the Rocking W Wranglers. With their version of Call of the Wild. I'm Katie Stone, we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Children's Hour. Ooh.
10: If the summer wind blows in something that grows into something you can't quite name, and you feel the pride, you just can't hide like a wolf never meant to be tamed. It's a call of the wild. If the whippoorwill calls and thundering falls and rainbows to the sky, and you feel the thrill that sends up a chill when you hear the lobe wolf cry, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. it's a call of the wild. When you feel the warm Santa's blowing, or see the crackle and lightning break the sky. When you hear the raging rivers flowing There's a love in the call of the wild that you can't deny When you see a dewdrop sparkle like a diamond When you hear a rippling stream There's a time in the morning when the rustle of a new day Wakes up the wonderland dream ooh, 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 ooh. And the call of the wild When you feel the warm sand as blow See the crackle and lightning break the sky. When you hear the raging rivers flowing, there's a love in the call of the wild that you can't deny. When you see the drops sparkle like a diamond, when you hear a ripple and stream, there's a time in the morning when the rustle of a new day wakes up the wonderland dream. Oh, In the Call
2: of the wild Ripple and, and, and call of the wild. The Children's Hour is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit corporation.
7: Our show was written by Katie Stone with help from all of us in the kids crew.
2: Find lots of information about us at children'shour.org.
0: We want to thank our guests, Alcadour from the Web of Life Foundation, John Oakley from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Tony Sparsa from the Albuquerque Zoo.
2: Our podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast, or at patreon.com slash Hour, Or ask your smart speaker to play the Children's Hour podcast. We post our photos and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at TCH Radio.
1: Our theme music
2: is written by C.K. Bylow. The Children's Hour is distributed by the Children's Hour Incorporated and the Public Radio Exchange, PRX, and the Pacifica Radio Network.
1: Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour Kids Public Radio.